Right. There you go. Oh, what a nightmare that was indeed. Uh, for those of you tuning in, you won't be tuning in yet because this is on a totally different link. So I'm going to have to put this link in here and say, new link. Please do join that one. Apologies for the absolute uh, mess up there. I will, I will explain all uh, in one minute's time. But I think we better, we better get on with the show because we're supremely overrunning right now. And apologies and thank you everyone for holding on. And we can see people joining on the new link now, which is good. So welcome, 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 welcome. This is VUX World. And I think we may as well bring you on, Scott, because you've been waiting for long enough <laughs> back there. <laughs> apologies yeah. for the, for the com- supreme mess ups. And thank you for hanging on. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Cool. Well, welcome everybody to VUX World. And uh, yeah, so what ended up happening there was uh, this event was scheduled. Um, we'd rescheduled it, but for some reason, this this program hadn't quite cottoned on that it had been rescheduled. So it tried to broadcast into an unknown location on LinkedIn. Um, and therefore, when we broadcast onto LinkedIn, all it, it didn't basically happen. And then I left to get a good link to come back and give to Scott, but the event had closed down. So I couldn't get back into it, but Scott was trapped into it in there. And yeah, there you go. Huge breakdown in technical uh, technical issues there, but uh, we're here, we're here anyway, so thank you. Uh, cool. So we may as well kick off. Uh, we will say a quick shout out. Well, one, thank you to you, Scott, for, for Deepgram sponsoring VWX World over the last few months. And for those people who are not familiar with Deepgram, uh, I'm sure they will be by now. But uh, if not, we're going to spend some time talking about not just Deepgram, but your expertise and, and thoughts on, on the industry and the landscape. And so thank you very much for that. And uh, secondly, Symbol AI is our second presenting sponsor, uh, conversational intelligence API capabilities, which will allow you to get to data that you didn't even know existed within your conversations so one check out deepgram.com forward slash vux world two check out symbol ai that's s-y-m-b-l dot a-i and uh very very briefly the, the, the last plug that i'll do scott is for the webinar that we're doing together on march the 22nd uh which is aptly titled the end of can you repeat that and it is all about how to actually build truly conversational AI because it is uh, very much uh, still topical. A lot of companies are now starting to build voice assistants for the very first time. Uh, it's not quite as easy as it might seem. And there are some very common pitfalls that people will get themselves into if they're not careful. And so we will be exploring those and helping people steer them in the right way to do it properly. And so uh, for those of you that are still with us which you are and thank you so much for doing so here is a link to that uh webinar which i'll put there if you want to go and sign up anyway on with the show scott <laughs> how are you doing <laughs> yeah I'm, do- I'm doing fine hey you know technical issues happen uh glad we're together yeah good 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 likewise likewise and thank you everyone uh thank you taras for uh, rallying the troops and sticking in there thank you michael and uh ashutosh for uh for sticking with it somebody uh asked let me just find out who it was it was alejandro was asking if anyone knows any good ai or speech to text jokes scott i don't know if you have any any ai or speech to text jokes I'll think about it, but uh, I don't have any right off the right off the cuff here. But yeah, neither do I. Neither do I. Pull up by the end of the show. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So, uh, so yeah, thanks for joining us again. So, last time we spoke was September. 
2021. Um, we were kind of just getting out of the back end of a global situation. We're kind of now getting into another potential global situation, uh, which uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, but how are things with yourself and, and what have been some of the things do you think that have developed or changed as far as speech technology is concerned in the last six months or so since we last spoke? Well, uh, so we're just AI in general, but also especially speech uh, has been um, has been cooking the last couple of years. And so just even a quarter goes by or, you know, half a year goes by and uh, a lot has changed already. And so uh, for uh, for, you know, six months ago, somewhere around that time um, uh, until now, uh, new features get released, accuracy goes up. Uh, generally, people are also working on speed and scalability as well. And, um, you know, in, in it, there's, uh, there's several uh, voice providers out there in the world, you know, that Symbol's one of them, you know, Deepgram's one of them. There's, there's a lot of other providers out there in the world. And we're all, like, working together. We have research teams. We've got data scientists. We've got everything, everybody working on this problem. And, uh, it's just a, a very rapid pace of uh, accuracies going up and new features being built and new languages being built. Uh, that's one thing that I see uh, big time right now is uh, the startups are starting to be able to cover more languages. Um, like Deepgram in particular, we cover over 20 languages now. Whereas, you know, probably when we last talked six months ago, it was like five or six, you know. So just in a very short period of time, um, uh, more data is sort of coming becoming available but also like the scale of being able to train is uh, is is uh, becoming more available to um, companies where you know there's like a know-how and figuring it out that has to be done and once you sort of get some of those things done and you take care of the base case as well so most companies start with English and they want to get that scalable and reliable. Um, but once that happens, then you can start to expand to these other areas. And that's been like this year that's been happening. Um, and also just the rise of real time is another like just obvious uh, uh, thing that's happening, which is um, a year ago, a, a year ago, two years ago, uh, companies really cared about recorded audio, like audio that's already been recorded, and they want to process that. Um, uh, maybe they want to do it for searching or for closed caption to display on like a video website or, you know, to do some call analytics or something like that in their in their call center. Um, but we start to like the largest growth area, frac you know, f like from a growth perspective right now is real time. Um, that it's uh, it, yes, there's like bot use cases, assistant use cases, but there's also like real time agent assist and call centers. But there's also just like live streams um, and wanting to uh, wanting to process that on the fly. And so uh, it's a really interesting segment. Um, and I think you know we've all kind of seen that as the. Uh, uh, as the pandemic has rolled on here that uh, services like Clubhouse and all these others, you know, they're real time. They're trying to do um, uh, they're trying to do community monitoring and, uh, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, there aren't toxic conversations and that type of thing. And all of that is starting to turn on now. And so, yeah, it's it's been a pretty exciting time in the last you know six months. Interesting. Where do you see most of the activity happening? You mentioned a couple of different examples of um, like B2B use cases, but but 
also kind of like B2C products. So you have like, you know, the real tri- real-time transcriptions of like Clubhouse for monitoring purposes, for example. That's like yeah. a customer-facing product that's using the technology behind the scenes, of course, but it's still tied yeah. to like a, a product that's out there in the wild. Whereas some of these other instances, maybe call center, there's still a customer on the end of it, but it's not necessarily like a productized thing. Yeah. Where, where are you seeing most of the sort of like adoption? Is it mostly in the kind of like product side or is it mostly in some of the like enterprise operations side? Well, I think for voice, uh, there was already a business that had been developed over the last 20, 30 years where uh, companies were trying to understand what was inside their audio. Um, They had to, many of these businesses, call centers had to record uh, their audio and store it for like seven years, you know, for, for um, uh, like the, you know, by government mandate, basically, you know, Mm. banks and that type of thing. And so there's a lot more infrastructure built around uh, uh, like business calls, especially a customer to business. And um, so in a lot of ways, uh, like on the technology side or, or, or at least the familiarity and budget side and, and some familiarity with the technology, they they kind of have a leg up in the, you know, bringing it to market quickly, essentially, right? Um, or adopting the technology quickly in market. Um, whereas the customer facing uh, applications generally have to, uh, they have to start you have to start a company, start building a product, roll it out, et cetera, whereas they already have customers, they already had, you know. So so essentially, we've seen two things. Uh, we've seen like two worlds, basically. There's there's like the old guard adopting new technology and then, you know, just new companies and products springing up. And um, so I think they're both happening at the same time, but I think it's easier for the B2B world. You know, if you already have a call center that's doing 10,000 calls a day and you just want to understand is there anybody upset inside? And we used, to, you know, like you're already paying like a 10 person QA team to like listen mm. to calls. Why not, you know, supercharge them give them an exoskeleton to figure out where those calls are. Uh, and instead of listening to random calls, now they can, you know, find them very easily through AI and, you know, that type of thing. We've seen that very quickly adopted. Uh, but, you know, the other products are, are the consumer based products are starting to take off and, um, I wouldn't say they're all like consumer-based AI products yet. I would say it's probably a couple years until you start to see like uh, products that are not just connectivity with AI added on top of it, but it's just literally like an AI product that you're using. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, so we're kind of in an in-between there for the new companies and new products. They're they're standing up a connectivity app. So like, w- what I mean by that is like Twilio is a connectivity company, you know, yeah, or. Yeah. Uh, and so they're adding an AI into it, you know, a clubhouse is a connectivity company and they're adding AI into it, you know, so that, that type of thing, but you know, it'll be a couple of years probably until it's more like an AI first consumer company. But, uh, yeah, it's innovations happening all around. Um, and the startups that are starting now are going to start to get a lot of traction and then demand a lot uh, soon. Mm. What would you say would be like a, even if it's like a hypothetical example of, um, like a an AI first product you know I was looking I'm just looking at the newsletter that we published this morning and there was 
there's been loads of companies raising funding. You know, I think Digital yeah. Humans might have raised funding. Neo Sapiens is a recent one. You know, there's a bunch of companies that are raising funds around this whole digital human kind of thing. Now, it's, that's not necessarily an end product as such. It's kind of like a service where you can build yeah. digital humans and stuff like that. Um, like Replica as well raised some funds earlier on in the year. Um, is that the kind of example you're thinking of, of, of like an AI if AI first native product, or have you got another kind of example in mind of what that might look like? Well, I think I think a key example is like uh, uh, you know the assistance that the large tech companies have built. Um, there hasn't really been a successful consumer-facing uh, assistant from startups or smaller companies yet. And uh, what I mean is, it'll probably be you know a year or two until you start to see companies like that or that you know, the company never could have existed if AI didn't exist. And there are some of those already happening, but they are happening in the B2B world, basically, where, uh, for instance, there, there are companies that are uh, customers of DeepGram where they build um, uh, like an analysis platform to understand everything that's happening in a uh, uh, call center calls or like live streams. And, and they want to know what's happening where, where ad mentions done the way they were supposed to have, but it, it, they were supposed to be done in like podcasts and that type of thing. Or, hey, uh, what what type of phone call happened between this customer and an agent? You know, did it go positively or not? And um, that's, that type of product and that scale of product would have never been able to be, be built five years ago. Um, so it is very like in AI enabled. And um, whereas, uh, you know, now we'll have... Uh, in the next couple of years, I I think that uh, Google, Amazon, um, they'll be focusing on uh, basically Amazon wants you to buy stuff. That's their that's their main goal, and, and Google wants you to click on ads, and they're going to keep focusing on that. But I think there's going to be companies that focus on like, wait a minute. Um, we don't just want to do search with our AI assistant. We don't just only want to know what the weather is. We don't like I. I I would like, I would love for people to build, you know, uh, a, a an AI bot that could talk to my grandmother for two hours straight, you know, and mm. that, those like I already know of those companies that are being built, and you know that's kind of what I mean that like it it really is AI is the center of it that is making the company work, and it just never would have been able to be built uh, in the past, uh, and um, yeah, now it can be built, but it, it's a uh, it's a technical uh, feat to to make it all work. And, you know, you kind of have a, you see iteration happen in the market where it, the easier things happen first, you know, and then you kind of build on top of it and whatnot. And so it'll just be a couple of years until that happens. Mm, yeah, interesting. R related, uh, Michael Novak, shout out to Michael, uh, has an anecdote about not grandparents, but parents who got an echo for Christmas. And now all they do is shout at it and they are disappointed by all that it won't do. But yep. thankfully, he, thankfully, he's been replaced by Alexa. Presumably, uh, Michael is very similar to everybody else where their parents calls them for technical technical issues and troubleshooting. And maybe that's been displaced by, uh, by Alexa. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just I just did the taxes for my grandparents recently because they're like I can't figure out this free tax stuff on the internet, you know? and uh, yeah, you could you could see uh, you know just uh, an, an AI product asking them about their tax information and they're just reading it off and then you know uh, there's lots of things that will be built uh, on this automation side that make people's lives easier, but I still think it'll be a couple of years until it really starts to take hold. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's interesting. In terms of like, we'll probably cover we'll probably cover some of that in the webinar on on the twenty second. But maybe he's thinking about speech recognition specifically, because obviously, in order to build one of those products, you need to have all of these component parts aligned, don't you? Speech recognition needs to be good. Natural language understanding needs to be good. Dialogue management needs to be good. You need to have access to the actual stuff, like the content and all that stuff needs to happen. Uh, it needs to be kind of like then presented in, in some kind of product or device or something. Um, so taking the speech recognition part then, and you mentioned that it's challenging to do. It obviously is challenging to do, but every single one of those components has their own constituent sort of challenges. And you mentioned there that DeepGram over the last six months or so, you know, you've gone from X languages to 20 odd languages and, and, you know, that's immense progress. Typically and historically, I think even last time we spoke, we were talking about how one of the challenges is to create a new language for speech recognition models because it's acoustically entirely different to the base language and everything means something completely different. So what are maybe some of the challenges that you think have been um, solved or, or as best as they can be so far in the speech recognition space? And then what are the challenges that you think are still kind of left to be solved? Yeah, I think there's a lot to go. Uh, I, I can answer that one, the, the last part really quickly. Like there's so much to go. I, th I think uh, you have to you have to kind of think of like what were computers like in 1970, you know, compared to now, you know, like yeah. drastically different, right? That, that will be the case uh, for AI um, into the future. And um, so, you know, what does it, what does it take to make these things work? Uh, well, or, or maybe I, I, I'll back up a second here and say like, what was happening before and what's happening now and what are things, how, how are things changing to like make all this work? Um, there's uh, it, deep learning is the big thing that happened for many, uh, you know, this is images, this is audio, this is text, et cetera. And uh, deep learning really, the, the way that I think about it is uh, you're trying to actually relax your opinion as a, uh, as a, as a researcher. Um, you're trying to put less of your bias into it. You're trying to say, hey, I'm going to give you enough neurons, enough space, enough, you know, capacity is what we would call it in, uh, in, in the AI world. Um, in the deep learning world uh, to a capacity to to understand and really what that means is you're making the model bigger um, and you're and you're you can make it more expressive by giving it um, different qualities so it, it, the qualities generally I think of them a little bit like a, uh, a periodic table for uh, for deep learning um, where you have fully connected layers, which are layers that know about everything. They know about the past, they know about the present, they know about spatial, all spatial things all at once and whatnot. Um, that might sound like a really good thing, but it actually turns out that it's not uh, at, at least uh, what, what happened. These are called fully connected layers. And um, a lot of times those aren't the best, uh, but they are good for certain things. Um, and then there's another uh, type that's like a, conv a convolutional neural network which is very spatially oriented. It, like, it cares about shapes and things like that. And so if you look at like, you know, like for images, if it, it would, there would be things that care about curves and circles and noses and stuff like that. Uh, it, but it's not uh, written by the researcher that it would care about that. It actually learns all that from the data because it has so much capacity. Um, and then there's uh, recurrent neural networks, which are, they care less about shape um, and they care more about sequence and things that happen in time. And so things that happened in the distant past, near, near past, you know, currently, you know, into the future, that type of thing. 
And then there's another type of uh, layer, uh, which is based on attention. So maybe uh, you only want to focus on a specific, you don't want to, you don't want to focus on the whole image or whole audio file the same, you know, you know that certain parts are more, uh, more important than others. And so that it allows it to shift its attention around and whatnot. And so from these basic components, that's how these uh, models are built, but they're built in as much of an unopinionated way as like researchers can can manage and still get the models to learn and train. Um, and then you throw a whole bunch of compute at it and a whole bunch of data at it, and then it learns to be really expressive and good at what it does. Um, and there, there's another step on top of that, which is end-to-end uh, -end deep learning, which is you're not using just deep learning for a portion of the model, you're using it for the entire thing. So in the audio case, like audio comes in, everything happens inside it, you know, whatever is happening inside it happens inside it, but with no human intervention, no breaks in the models, nothing like that. And then just words come out the other side. And that, I mean, that might sound like the natural way to do it, um, which that does sound like a natural way to do it to me. But in the past, that's not how it was done because it was impossible to get it to work, basically. So they had to break the problem up into, hey, can you denoise the signal a little bit? And can you guess phonemes that people are speaking? And um, then the next step would be, can you guess candidate words that possibly were spoken you know, from those collections of phonemes? Um, and then can you finally flatten it down into a single transcription, basically? And uh, we're seeing a transition over time. Like this, like that's the type of thing that Nuance did, and you know, IBM Watson does. And but uh, you would, you might think that Google and Amazon and a bunch of startups and everything they've all switched to end-to-end -end deep learning by now, by now. But actually, uh, most of them haven't. Um, so DeepGram, that's how we started. Is like no, no, no. The world is going to switch to end-to-end -end deep learning. And so six years ago, that's what we started working on. And so we, you know, we're the leaders in that. But uh, but but nevertheless, like that's the kind of thing that's happening. Is that People are removing their removing their bias as a researcher, and um, throwing a lot of compute at it and a lot of data at it, and restructuring the problem in a way that allows the the AI system to just solve it better than humans can. And um, then then that ends up with a system that uh, is just better from an accuracy perspective. Um, most of the time, it's better from a speed perspective, etc. And those things are just being you know, they're, they're in research land, you know, and then they have to get transferred into uh, via an engineering effort into a real product. Um, and all that's just happening at a rapid pace right now. So uh, yeah, that, that we're seeing, we're witnessing that happen, you know, over the next, you know, five, 10 years, everybody will switch over to end to end deep learning. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're in that uh, process of switching now, like as a community, of course, deep yeah, yeah. Already done that. that's how we started out, but yeah. Interesting, interesting. So is is one of the benefits, Michael Novak's asking a question, what about kind of like uh, speech recognition on the edge, so not connected to the internet? You mentioned, yeah. you know, you've mentioned a couple of times throwing a whole load of compute at things. Can't really do that when stuff's running on device. I'm wondering whether you can shed, shed some light a little bit on the current state of speech recognition technology as far as operating on devices concerned. Yeah, and when I say I throw a lot of compute at it, I mean in the training phase. So right. there's two there's two steps to the model where you train the model. So you know you you go to grade school, you graduate, go to college, you do all you know you do all this work, right? Um, and learn languages and do all of that and learn how to talk to people. But uh, when somebody asks you a specific question, you can recall it almost instantly and say like, hey, here's the way that it should go or whatever, right? So like. 
it took a lot of effort to get you trained, you know, but not so much effort to get you to infer is what we would call it in the, uh, in, in as a researcher at the inference stage. So, um, you don't need nearly as much compute power in order to do inference. And so this is why like, uh, yeah, some, some phones now will do, uh, maybe not large vocabulary speech recognition on it, but like fairly large vocabulary speech recognition on it, meaning like it would know a thousand words or something like that rather than a hundred thousand. But um, yeah, those devices uh, can do it. I would say right now it's, it's no longer the uh, compute like, you know, flops, the pro processing speed is no longer the thing that uh, stops that from getting better. Um, it's it, it, because we, we crossed that threshold. That's okay. Um, now, like devices are powerful enough. It's actually memory size um, and just generally like uh, have people put the effort into making it work on the edge because making it work on the edge is kind of a pain. That That's <laughs> like, let's let's just be honest like every every chipset is different it, you know they they like is it an 8-bit processor you know 32-bit processor how much memory do you have is it you know uh, if it's a system on a chip then it can run like a, a standard operating system like ubuntu or, or whatever and if it's x86 well then basically everybody's stuff would work on that but if it's arm or some of these other things then you have to like have a whole you know engineering tech transfer team that like makes all of that work over there and so the really big tech companies uh, do that now, and that's like what you know Alexa has, you know, running on its uh, device, and that's what Google does. Uh, they don't, for the most part, though, they don't do their large vocabulary speech recognition on that device, though. Still, uh, they, you know, they'll do some uh, some of the more rudimentary things, but they'll ship off the audio in order to have it done in the cloud. So, um, I know the original question is, you know, what about what about the edge? And I'll say the edge is coming definitely in the next couple of years. Microprocessors have gotten like insanely fast. Uh, and so uh, you'll be able to do uh, large vocabulary speech recognition once you add enough memory to it, basically. Um, and actually, you may not even have to add that much memory to it because research uh, in in uh, in deep, uh, deep neural networks um, is finding out ways to shrink the size or basically shrink the memory footprint of these models uh, um, and still have them be very good and have large vocabulary and still work on devices. So yeah, in the next couple of years, I think it will be pretty commonplace to have that happen. Um, there's, there's kind of a follow-up question that people would ask there. It's like, hey, is that going to disrupt like the server market or like the cloud API market for AI? Mm -hmm. And I would say probably not because generally what's happening is like it's your single conversation that you're having, which is happening on this device. And it's too chaotic, crazy, et cetera, to have all of those devices. Like we're not, we're not going to have things sent to the cloud, then sent to your phone and have the processing done there, then sent back to the cloud and that type of thing. Mm. It's going to be centralized and there's still going to be most of the processing happening in the cloud, but some of the uh, processing will happen uh, on the edge. So I think that'll be standard for years to come. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So all of that stuff, that, you know, whether whether it's running on the edge or, or not, all of this deep kind of like deep learning technology and all of the kind of like accuracy that has been kind of squeezed out of, of speech recognition technologies, thanks to these kind of deep learning models um, and the speed it can operate at and all that kind of stuff means that you know we've we've mentioned a couple of areas where it where it is being used and can be used whether it's on the product side or the enterprise side mm -hmm. um but the the real thing that is that is i think the opportunity which you've highlighted and we'll put the link to the um the most recent report that you did uh, mm -hmm. in the show notes as well but 
one of the kind of pieces in there is all about how basically most of organizational data is unstructured. So audio data or kind of like random data that's not organized or anything like that. And I know that you're kind of really keen on, on the, discussing the, the intelligence revolution. I'm wondering mm-hmm. whether you can shine some light on what the intelligence revolution is and how that kind of, how the state of technology currently is enabling businesses to get to value in some of that kind of like abundant, unstructured mess, for want of a better word. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, w- I would say um, if, if people, you know, haven't thought about it or felt it yet that we're in an intelligence revolution, um, I'll just say we definitely are. And uh, let me just back up in history here a little bit and tell you uh, or, you know, remind us a little bit about the revolutions that happened. So uh, think back roughly uh, 2000 years, 1500 years ago, there was the agricultural revolution where, where yes, people knew how to farm and grow some things beforehand, but they didn't really mechanize it, you know, yet. Um, and, and I don't even mean from machines, I'll get to that in a second, but, you know, they started doing large plots of land, um, uh, crop rotation. It wasn't just for your own family, like you started to centralize it and, you know, do it for an entire, you know, city and that type of thing. And uh, that took about a thousand years to, you know, really catch on and like spread and like be conquered essentially um, up until like 1500 basically. And uh, then the next revolution after that was the industrial revolution starting around 1700s basically. And, you know, I I would say like right now we're, we're kind of getting into the end of the industrial revolution. Like I think robots are kind of like the last piece of it, but um, uh, and I'm not even talking about intelligent robots. I just mean like having them spread everywhere so that uh, so that you can have uh, manufacturing uh, happen easier and whatnot, articulated manufacturing and whatnot. Um, but anyway, that took about 250 years for that to happen. So, you know, agricultural revolution took a thousand years. You know, the industrial revolution took like 250 years to happen. Um, and then the next revolution, um, which is still happening, but starting to come to a, to a close, um, is the uh, is the information uh, revolution? So basically, uh, the internet happening, being able to process information quickly, uh, catalog it. You know, it, we all well, if, if we're of a certain age, we remember the card catalogs from libraries back in the day. All of that got revolutionized with the information revolution and computers and that type of thing. But you know, computers in a lot of ways are dumb. They only do what humans tell them to do, literally written line by line, you know, code. And um, they, they don't do things like like inference really well that, that humans do. They can collect a whole bunch of information and then say, ah, it means this and I'm going to go do this. Um, it, I, I think we had to wait until the intelligence revolution was starting. And so anyway, you have the, you know, thousand years for the agricultural, 250 years for the industrial, and then probably like 60 years or so for the information revolution to actually happen. And so you're seeing like these time scales compressed and compressed. And, you know, the intelligence revolution, if you just look at that and kind of look at the, the, uh, what the, what that trend is, um, it, it'll probably take like 30 years for it to happen or so, you know, 30, mm-hmm. 40 years, whatever it is. Um, and we're, I would argue that we're already about five years into it, you know, maybe five, seven years, something like that. Yes, people were doing machine learning, you know, 20 years ago, um, but it, it kind of was like that. Yeah, I was planting crops in my backyard to feed my family before the before the agricultural revolution, you know, but then it really started to take, to, you know, you know, a lot of progress started to be made by a lot of people. And uh, that was 2015, 2017, sort of in that era is when it started. 
Um, and so we're kind of, I would say, you know, a fifth-ish or a sixth-ish or whatever through the in, uh, through the intelligence revolution right now. It's still just the beginning, but it's starting to actually be. Uh, you can start to see the effects of it all over the place. And actually, what I what I advise to businesses um, is. Uh, act fast because of that compressed time you don't have 60 years you don't have 250 years you know the every year in ai is worth two years in the information revolution you have to act twice as fast as you did in the internet in the decisions that you had to make in the internet age basically and um so so uh so yeah i i don't think there's you know i think we're definitely in the intelligence revolution. People don't quite talk about it yet. Usually you talk about these revolutions after they happen, but nevertheless, like we're in the middle of it and it, but it's, but it's not just computers being faster, or being able to store more data or something like that. That was the information revolution. The intelligence revolution is being able to show an example and have a machine learn from that example to then do something in a way which is more productive than a human doing it. And, uh, I, I don't mean all things, you know, I mean some things just like uh, it, it is definitely more productive for a machine lathe and tooling and whatnot to make precision machined parts, you know, than a human to sit down and like file it away and all that. It is it is more productive to have that happen. It's also more productive for, you know, a, a computer to store on hard drives and uh, use processors to retrieve that information um, uh, compared to like the Dewey Decimal System and card catalogs and that type of thing. It's more productive to do that, you know? Um, but but it, AI probably won't be writing books for us, you know? They won't be, it, it won't be, uh, there won't be an AI uh, podcast host that lots of people want to listen to, you know? <laughs> like the creativity is still in the hands of humans, you know, after this revolution and everything, but there's just more of the menial tasks and whatnot that we, we couldn't have given to, you know, the machines in the past because they weren't intelligent enough. Now they, now they will be for many tasks basically. And so the world will just become more productive. And, you know, the final point on that is, Hey, the agricultural revolution um, made the world like a very much better place. You know, um, the industrial revolution did the same thing. Um, medicine and everything came out of that. Um, information definitely makes the world a better place. And, and uh, the intelligence revolution, I, I believe that it will also uh, make the world a better place from that productivity perspective. Like we're just going to be able to offload these things that uh, we have to have humans do right now currently. Uh, but really, that's not the best use of their creativity and, you know, uh, brain space. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a general idea. Interesting. Interesting. It's in, yeah, I, I completely get that. Yeah. And I think that um, the there's always some side effects potentially which uh, would we have time to get into fully the side effects i don't know but for example like the agricultural revolution um the side effects potentially is um basically overpopulating yep uh, and therefore poverty in some areas because you tend to farm more than you can eat which then encourages population growth etc um the industrial revolution what are the side effects of the industrial revolution? Well, there's another, there's, well, safety is another, is a big one, you know, yeah. with the industrial revolution, like, you know, cars injure people, you know? Like yeah, also, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, another with, uh, with the agricultural revolution is uh, land use, you know, the, yes. like, we take over a whole bunch of land and, you know, it's yeah. only 
for these reasons and whatnot. Um, so yeah. yeah, there's definitely um, uh, downsides that come along with them. Uh, what what happens uh, a lot of times the market regulates that, but also governments come in and do regulation there uh, and say like, whoa, 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 we're not clear cutting the entire you know country uh, in order to do agriculture. Like we're going to do zoning and whatnot. So hey, you can only do certain things here and there. And uh, it, generally, I think humans are not. Uh, they're weakly intelligent on this uh, regulation side. Basically. <laughs> like over time, we make the right decisions, you know. But any given country at any given point or whatever, we probably make like you know pretty bad decisions. Um, but you start to see examples that are working, and then you catch on and move to the good solution, basically. And so you know, like we have speed limits for cars. You know, um, yeah. we have safety features that have to be built into cars, not not just because they're government mandated, but just because like the market says like, hey, I'm not going to buy the unsafe car, you know? So mm. things things like that are going to happen in AI as well. Um, like, hey, I, I'm not going to buy the thing that does the bad stuff. I'm going to do, I'm going to buy the thing that does the good stuff, you know? Mm. Yeah. Uh, but then government will have to regulate at some point too. I would recommend though, don't do government regulation like right now. Don't do it yet. You kind of let things, uh, you know, take hold and then see what happens. And one of the big arguments for that is uh, uh, China has no regulation whatsoever and they won't for a very long time. And in the Western world, uh, if they start to regulate too early, like they're going to they're going to stifle a growth on that side. And that will be a very big problem if, if China is like the world power because they understand automation before anybody else. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's some really good examples of how AI works really well in China, you know, and I think you, yeah. you would not see those benefits if you were to regulate too early. Um, yeah. 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 So, what, so, so a good example you mentioned there about the the information, the intelligence revolution, rather being um, being all about making us more productive. And we've got a good question here from Irfan. Might might have to be the last one we take. Um, so Irfan's asking, uh, how far would you see maturity to implement live translation for contact center agents? So, for example, an agent speaks English and the customer speaks Spanish. So, you know, in terms of the intelligence revolution that kind of use case where um, like Google Translate can kind of do a bit of that in the mm-hmm. app. If you speak in one language, it will then translate it into the other. Not quite necessarily real time, but it's kind of close enough to stand face to face. But obviously in the contact center, real time is key. What are your kind of thoughts on on real time translation? And, and is that possible now? Is it, what's a time frame if you were to put one on it? It, it definitely is, and uh, I'll I'll say um, I want to uh, touch on a uh, state of voice report that we did recently, the 2020, uh, 2022 state of voice report, and uh, just from the previous year, uh, there has been a lot of uptake in voice, and so this this report was reaching out to over 400 uh, decision makers across uh, across businesses that use voice. And, um, you know, the, the year prior, they were kind of like, I don't know. Um, and then this year, it's it's like the statistics are crazy. Uh, lots of people are using it. They're seeing revenue gains. They're, they're doing that, et cetera. And so I, I think it, you, you kind of have to look at that as evidence that uh, the, the world is catching on and these products are catching and investment is coming into them. And in particular for this uh, translation case, um, I would bet that the way that it happens first is it's kind of like the, the traditional translator feel where you speak um, and 
there's a third party there and you know there's a third party there and it's basically doing translation and spitting it back or you know translation there's three things that have to happen there by the way you have to do uh you have to do the speech to text basically and then you actually have to do the translation and then you have to do text to speech back basically right so all three of those products have to work in a very short period of time and they all have to work really well right um i would argue that probably in the next year or two years uh the underlying research for all of that will certainly be solved basically. So like uh, now the question is just the tech transfer, does it get put into products yet? And how does that, how does that happen? Um, I would say even within the next year, all of that will be solved from a research perspective. Um, the getting it into as into a product, I would say uh, it's probably the job of startups that's actually going to do this. The big companies, um, probably won't do this one first because they have a lot of low hanging fruit. Um, so they'll, they'll just be trying to optimize or, you know, get a next best action in the same language to people or uh, to have an automated assistant that it initially takes the call or attendant that takes the call and then diverts it to the right humans to solve the problem and whatnot. That's kind of what they're thinking about. But uh, yeah, I, I see um, young startups uh, that are starting right now um, and actually just plug, but I, I see them applying to a, a Deepgram startup program where we give people $100,000 of credit for free. Um, so anyway, but we see them coming in that are doing things like this. Um, but uh, I think a lot of times they come in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed thinking they're going to do it in this, uh, you know, 20 millisecond, 100 millisecond, like real-time, real-time <laughs> translation. And it's like, um, I mean, it's not really how translation works. Like uh, in a lot of languages, the meaning happens like at the end of the sentence or whatever it is. So there's kind of always going to be this built-in lag. Um, and the, I think the question will just be reducing it from like five or 10 seconds down to like one or three seconds or something like that. And it'll always kind of feel like that. Um, but uh, it, there's a lot of ways to buy time in speech. People will, you know, pause or they'll say, um, or they'll, you know, put in these little things, you know. So you'll start to see those more natural things come in, and actually, it will, it will kind of, uh, it will kind of hide that latency. Is actually how we, you know, talk about it in the computer world. Uh, you can hide latency with things like that. And so I, I would suspect it probably takes like three years, two to three years, for that to like become a product that lots of people like to use. But I would suppose in the next year, that company is actually going to start. Um, and mm. so it, it, you know, it'll take them a year or two to build that product, basically. Interesting. Well, there's an idea for you. Uh, there's a free idea for those of you tuning in that fancy uh, fancy your chances at building that. That would be a definite a good use case because that means that you know global contact centers all over the world will basically be able to uh, utilize one solution and potentially centralize all of their operations basically would be a tremendous tremendous value um cool wicked well yeah that's thank you so much scott for joining us apologies we have to cut it short and thank you everyone for for uh joining us as well i know that we kind of had a few <laughs> technical issues at the top of the show which will not be repeated because uh, i think i'm pretty confident of what went wrong there um so we'll definitely we'll definitely sort that out i've put some of the links to you that you were mentioning there scott in the in the chat there i'll also put it in the show notes if you're tuning in on the podcast state of voice technology report uh the deep Graham startup program 
get your applications in if you are uh, working on something interesting involving speech technology. Um, and uh, yeah, please do join us, as I mentioned at the beginning, for uh, the end of Can You Repeat That, which is an exclusive webinar that we're doing with Deep Graham and Scott yourself will be there. And we're going to be pointing you in the direction of how to build truly conversational AI uh, on the voice channel. So if you're building voice assistance for mobile apps or websites or voice-enabled products or you're working on call center AI, as we've mentioned, call center automation, either on the front end customer facing or in the middle for um, for uh, agent assist use cases, anything that you're building that is related to voice technology and conversational AI on the voice channel will point you in the right direction and let you know how to do it properly on March the 22nd. The biggest pitfalls that you're likely to face if you don't pay attention and how to basically put in the right steps to make sure that you have a success. So looking forward to that one. And again, thank you, Scott, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And thank you all for bearing with us. Uh, a lot of people tuned in and have been bearing with us the whole time, uh, all the way through this. So thank you all for, for tuning in. They Obviously, you must have some fans around here, Scott, because uh, a lot of people have hung around for this one. So yeah, it's been good. Well, thanks, everybody. Cool. And we'll see you very, very soon.